Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Feeling good? Glad to be here? Yes. You look good. You look ready to go. Hey, we are excited about our service today. Uh, excited to be together. On your way in, as you found your seat, you found a serve well card in your seat. Just hang on to that. We're going to talk about that at the end of the service and let you know more about that. Uh, but we are so excited to be together, and we are excited about uh, worshiping together this morning. So before we do that, why don't you stand, greet somebody around you, and then we're going to sing together.
He is worthy of our praise this morning. Amen. So let's sing about it. Rumors of the Son of Man. Stories of the Savior. Holiness with human hands. Treasures for the traitor. No ears heard. No ears heard, no eyes seen. The image of the Father. Until heaven came to live with me. A rescue like no other. Let's lift it up.
caught on or not. This morning, the reason that we're singing is because of who he is. Because he is a good, good father. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is worthy of us singing this morning. He is worthy of us worshiping this morning. You know, there are days where we experience difficulty and we have no idea what tomorrow holds. But this morning, we don't sing to him because we understand all of his ways. We sing to him because we know that we can trust him. Even in the middle of a valley, in the middle of difficult seasons, we can rest knowing that God hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't forgotten about us. But he's walking with us. So this morning, if you've walked in and maybe you feel like the weight of the world is resting on your shoulders, maybe this morning you can just lift your hands and you can just sing, Father, you are worthy. You are the name above every name. And so this morning, I'm just gonna trust in you that you've got me. You're not gonna let me go. So all of us in this room, from the front to the back, from side to side, can we just lift our voices this morning and sing out, you are worthy. You are worthy. Sing it out. You are worthy of your name. You are worthy. That's it.
I want to look really quick at those lyrics where it tells us in that song all that God is. And I just want to go through. I was, I was standing down there, and sometimes this is the way I, I worship, and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's cheating, but I try to think about who God is and who it is to me. I think that's how you worship. But sometimes I kind of get off from y'all and I start into my own world. And so I was thinking about these lyrics. It says, you're my author, my maker. And I, and I, think, about, I think about these from the perspective of I'm not in control and that's okay. And so I think today, some of you need to be reminded, some of you come in and your lives are fairly well put together. But I think this still can be an encouragement for you. But for some of you, your lives are falling apart. And I know that this is an encouragement to you. And I just, I just want to look at these lyrics. Um, they can put them on the screen. You don't have, oh, they are ahead of me. It says, you're my author. You're my maker. In other words, how you've turned out doesn't surprise God. The Bible says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that before your mom or your dad ever had a chance to name you, he named you and he said you are wonderful, you are mine, you are chosen, you are set apart. The scripture says that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. You are valuable because he says you are. Only a creator gets to name his creation. That's why parents get to name their kids. That's why cooks get to name their dishes. And this morning, you need to know God says you are valuable. He says you are worthy. It says you're my maker, you're my author, you're my maker, you're my ransom, my savior. When you deserved it, he took it. Your sin, your shame. He said, I got that. I'm I'm willing to pay up for it so you don't have to. My refuge, my hiding place. I don't know about you, but I've had some moments over the last couple of weeks where I wanted to hide. glad that there's nowhere that I can run and hide that he can't find me. He's my refuge. He's the only safe place. We see David in the Psalm constantly talk about God as his refuge, that he runs into him, that there's something special about when, 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 when the storms of life rage around you, but you're in a refuge that you know can't be shaken. You're my helper, my healer. I want you to know he's healing you. You got a diagnosis, you got a report, you got a surgery, he's healing you. He is your healer. He doesn't always promise to heal our way, but he always promises to take care of us. He's your healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. He doesn't just save you from an eternity in hell, but he saves you from purposelessness. He saves you from a lack of peace. He says, come back. I'm your child, I'm your maker. He's worthy. He's the only one worthy. So if we could just go back and maybe into the dropout chorus of that part and just sing just for a moment, you are worthy, you are worthy.
just your voices sing you Thank you for this sweet time um, of worship and just kind of reflecting on who you are. God, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in some of the things that you are that we forget, like, just how amazing you are and how many, I don't even know how to explain it, God, but just listing all these things that you are, I think sometimes I just forget that you are everything and you're in everything and you control everything and I just need to stop. So just help us to remember all the things that you are and that you are worthy of everything. God, we thank you so much and we love you and we just wanna praise you this morning. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good morning and welcome to Springwell Church. We are glad that you're here today. I don't know why I'm saying this, but uh, I, I want to let you know that this morning, if you're coming into this place with, uh, with lots of hurts, and uh, it's hard for you to raise your hands. It's, it's hard for you to sing a song. I want you to know that you're loved and we're not here to judge you. We're just glad that you made the decision to walk into these doors. And I want you to know that if uh, you're struggling this morning, you're not alone. You're in a room full of people who are struggling too. And if at any point in this service, you just need somebody to talk to, uh, there's some folks that sit right down here uh, who can talk to you anytime during the service, even right now while I'm talking. If you just need somebody to talk to, you can come on down. I'll be down here in just a minute. There's some folks on the front row that would be glad to talk to you. We've been praying that you'd be here today, and we're glad that you are. If today's your first or second time here, thanks for being with us. When you came in the door, you should have gotten a connection card. If you would, fill out that connection card. Bring it to the information desk before you leave. We have a gift that we want to give you to thank you for being here. Also, if uh, you have a child with you this morning, uh, we do have children's ministry for birth all the way up through sixth grade happening right now. Uh, birth through two years old, or to my left, you're right there in the nursery area. All the other kids are in the other building. So if you have a child, you're going to want them to learn on their level. They're over there singing, dancing, having a good time. You're going to want your child over there. There's greeters in the lobby, and they can take you there and uh, show you how to get checked in over there. This week, I was uh, reading a story about a contractor in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, he was working on a house, uh, started tearing down the wall, and found $182,000 inside of the wall. And I get excited with my $5 in my pants pocket that I forgot was in there, right? $182,000 was found in the wall of this house. Apparently, it was uh, put there during the Great Depression for some safekeeping. So everyone go home, tear your walls down. There could be stuff in there. Who knows? That's the moral. It was an unexpected gift 
to that contractor. Malachi chapter three, this is the only time in scripture that God says, test me and see if I'm real. Test me, give sacrificially and give generously. And then watch this, God says, I will give you something that you don't expect. See, here's the thing. There's some churches, there's some ministries, there's some people that teach that if we give, we're going to become rich. It doesn't say that. It says when you give sacrificially and when you give generously, God promises that you can test him and he will open the windows of blessing. What that means is that he'll take care of the rest. You just have to trust. See, this morning, if you come in with nothing, God wants you to still sacrificially give. Maybe there's more bills than money. Then if God is who he says he is, he says give anyway. And I'll take care of the rest. Test me, he says. And see if I'm real. And if he is, he'll come through. If he's not, then it's all a lie. At Springwell, we try to make it as easy as possible for you to give. So you can give online at springwell.org. There's a kiosk in the lobby you can give there. You can text any amount to the number that will be on the screen in just a second. Or you can give in the bucket as it passes by. If you've been here for a few weeks, you also know that this month we are, uh, we're collecting funds to help build a house for Miguel and Erica in Guatemala. Their house is literally deteriorating, falling apart. $14,500 built them a new house, furnishes the house. We're currently at around $4,000, or about a third of the way there. We need you to give. You can give to the Easter offering by texting the word Easter in any amount to the number on the screen. Or just place your gift in the Easter offering envelope. There's some of those at the information desk. Grab one there, and you can give that way. This morning, I'm asking you to give it a test. Test and see if God is who he says he is. Let's pray together. God, this morning, I thank you that your word says... that you don't promise all good days and you don't promise wealth. You don't even promise that we're going to be healthy. But you promise if we sacrificially and generously give that you're going to bless us. Whether we give a penny or we give a whole lot, that's irrelevant. It's that we sacrificially give. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're on the left of the row, you can grab the black bucket, pass it to your right. Someone's gonna be on the other side to get it in just a second.
Good morning. We are back and we are working. Everybody, when the microphone doesn't work, everybody turns around and like looks back there. Uh, I would just like to confess that I had unplugged the thing. <laughs> so it was my fault. But that's okay, because we got the job done. Thank y'all, for, thank y'all for bearing with us. And, you know, if you've never been to church here before, I mean, we really, uh, we, we program and we plan. Um, but we also love when, when God kind of changes things up. And I was thinking about those words, and I looked them up on my phone, and I thought I really feel like some people need to, need to be explained to um, what, they're, what they're singing. And so I hope that, hope that helped. Um, also, I said this first service, and I'll say it again just kind of up front. Um, some of you have heard a lot about love this morning. And um, your part of you is thinking, I, I know this love stuff and God loves me but me. Like, I've, I've, I've done too much. I'm, I'm, I'm too far out there. I'm too far gone. I've been, I, I believe what, this, what my mom told me. I believe what the people around me have told me. And I'm too far gone. I just want you to know that it's not a but you. Um, it's a spe- and especially you. That God especially loves you, that there's not too far that you can run, there's not too far that you can hide, that there's nowhere that you can out the grace of God, that he loves you, and, he, and, and don't say but me, it's especially you. And I feel like somebody needs to know that this morning. Um, over the past several weeks, Pastor Scott's been teaching a series called He Said That. Um, and basically we've been looking at some things that Jesus said that kind of upset the cultural norm of the time, or maybe um, we just can't quite believe that he said it, or maybe even today it would upset the cultural norm. And so it's just one of those things where, wait, did Jesus really say that? Because Jesus was all love, but he was also all truth. And so Jesus kind of navigates his entire life this way of being all truthful, but also doing everything in love with an eye towards what God had sent him to do. And so we've been looking at some of those saints. Today we're going to continue that by, by looking at one that I think um, most of you, if you've been in church for a little while or maybe you've been to Hobby Lobby and seen it on a sign or something, um, you're going you're gonna to know because Hobby Lobby is like the Chick-fil-A of the craft world, right? Um, saved chicken, saved craft supplies. Anyway, um, and so if you've, been to, if you've been to Hobby Lobby, you might have seen this on a sign, but uh, we're going to talk about the next one of those. But I want to kind of set it up like this. I want to take you back to the year 2009. How many of you remember where you were in 2009? How many of you don't want to remember where you were? I'm just kidding. Okay, the year is 2009. Uh, Melissa and I, uh, my wife and I, let me clarify that. that otherwise, this illustration is very awkward. Um, Melissa and I have been um, not married, not, not very long. Um, and God, in his infinite wisdom and humor, decided to send a boy that was from Greer, South Carolina, spent, had spent the four years before that in Charleston, and a girl from Charleston that had spent her entire life in Charleston, South Carolina, he saw it in his infinite wisdom and humor to send us to our first church in a little town called Norway slash Denmark, South Carolina. Does anybody know where it is? Okay, so this is, this is just, just to kind of give you an idea of how secluded this is, like if you go to the middle of nowhere and you hang a left on a dirt road, you get close, okay? So like we are literally in the middle of nowhere. Funny story, the first Saturday we are actually there, we're staying in a house that the church has provided, no bathroom door, by the way. Come home from your honeymoon and not have a bathroom door for the first year and a half. I'm just saying, y'all, y'all you get to know each other pretty soon. 
And, uh, but anyway, and so we're living in this house. It's out in the woods. And so like the first Saturday we're in this house, all of these like pickup trucks start pulling up in the backyard. I have no idea what's going on. And so we had a sliding glass door. And so I open the curtain. I look out the sliding glass door. And I see these men, no joke, carrying shotguns walking through our backyard. And then, like, I, I guess they can see that I'm looking out, and then one of them begins to approach the window. Now, you know, me, I got my new bride in there. I'd be, I'm, I, I, got a, I got a BB gun in here, but I'm going to take you out. You know what I mean? And so I, I see him approaching the window, and, of course, literally the thought, I remember the thought that ran through my mind was, I ain't got nothing to lose now. And so he comes to the window, he knocks on it, and he says, Johnny, who owned the house that I was letting the church use it to let us live there. Johnny told us we could park here. We're going coon hunting. I'm like, well, why didn't Johnny tell me? Anyway, that's not part of the illustration. And so we're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, the first church we served in, I was a student slash kids pastor. Now, it took me about approximately 30 days to figure out that I am not a student slash kid pastor. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Pastor Brian, Katie, kudos to you. I am not wired that way. It was not my thing. And um, I, the church we were in, if you've ever been a part of a traditional church, it was one of those where, like, a few families held all the money, and they made all the calls, deacon boards. Some of you know exactly what that means. But, and, and apparently, like, the, the young gun coming in, and I did some things that they didn't necessarily love, and so it kind of ruffled some feathers. And so we were having, like, a really, really tough time at our first church. I had preached that Sunday morning. We'd had a business meeting. And if you've never been in a business meeting at a traditional church, it's kind of like everybody stands up, shouts what they wanted, and then we vote on it. Okay? Um, although less civilized. Okay? And so we had had one that morning. So we leave church. We're on our way home, and Melissa and I began to talk about where we're going for lunch. Okay? That's where the argument begins. How many of you married couples, your best arguments have been over where are we going to eat? Just go ahead. It, seriously. And so finally, finally, Melissa's, we're on our way home. Of course, it's like, where do you want to go eat? And things get heated a little bit along. And of course, the thing that I'm really upset about is what's go, what happened at the church in my morning. I'm not really upset about where to go eat. And so we disagree the whole way home. We pull up in the driveway, and she's like, well, let's just go home. I'm like, no, I don't want to go home. I had a rough morning. I want to go get some McDonald's. And so we pull up into the driveway. She's like, well, just drop me off. I'm like, fine. So I pull up to, through the dirt driveway, drop her off, turn around, leave, drive the 12 minutes to McDonald's, Wait on my food so y'all know how that could go. Come back the other 12 minutes. So like 30, 35 minutes later, I come into the driveway and I see something sitting on the porch. And I see her purse on the floor of the car we were driving on the passenger side floor. For 35 minutes, Melissa had been sitting on that front porch in the cold. She was crying, but she was spitting mad. <laughs> and I tell that story because we are ended up arguing about something that had nothing to do with why I was really upset. And so because of something that had nothing to do with it, I hurt her. I have a good story to tell later. But because of something that had nothing to do with something, it caused me to hurt someone else. I think that's... I think that's something that happens a lot of time in our lives. Like, we make things about things they were never meant to be about. And so, like, we approach people, and they have certain characteristics, and because of our own insecurities, 
we approach them with some, with, some, with some misunderstanding and it's nothing, it doesn't have anything to do with them, it's about us. Or maybe we go into a relationship and we go into a new relationship and really what we're carrying is not some, it's nothing that they've done, but we're carrying some baggage from that past relationship. It's not even about them, it's not even about that, it's about something else. Or, 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 or maybe, maybe even in our relationship with God, we've made it about some things that it's not really about. For some of you, you have been a believer for long enough now where that feeling that you had first when you first accepted Christ and you said you were worthy I need you I'm desperate without you my life has fallen apart my life is in shambles I need your peace I need your grace I need your joy now it's become I got to go to church today yeah that whole giving thing God did say that I guess I'll find something so we've made it about something it was never meant to be. For a few moments this morning, I want to talk from this subject. This is my title. It's not even about that. Look at the person beside you and say, it's not even about that. Or if you're some Blue Ridge, say, it ain't even about that. I'm just kidding. I love y'all. All All right. I am from Blue Ridge, by the way. I just want to clear that up. I feel like it makes it better if you're one of them when you insult people. Okay. All right. I'm just kidding. Uh, just to kind of set this up, we're going to be in Matthew 22. If you, have a, um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screens. Um, we have done the work for you. But just to kind of set up this passage, because it kind of needs some introduction, um, Jesus at this point has, has his disciples. He's gathered some followers just in culture, and he's try, starting to cause a little bit of a stink. You see, the culture of this time was highly, highly religious, obviously. And so Jesus is kind of going against some of the social norms of the time. He's kind of starting to cause a stink with the way he's doing things, and he's not necessarily obeying all of their traditions and their rules. And so they don't like him. And so they decide, we've got to get this, we've got to get rid of this guy. Like, everybody's going to start following him. He's going to change everything. We've got to get rid of this, uh, this guy. And so they know that, like, they can't just go out and kill him because he has these people that like him, right? I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't do this a lot, but I would think, like, if you're going to kill somebody, you don't kill somebody that a lot of people like. And so they decide they're going to, and they decide they're going to stir up some trouble so that people will want him gone especially the religious people. And so they begin to get on this mission to cause enough trouble where they can try him for crimes so that he can be, Jesus can be executed. And so one day they begin this series of questions with Jesus, questions to try to trap him basically into committing to, to being a heretic and to, for saying something against the Jewish law of the time, the religious law of the time. And so they begin to question him. The first question they answer, and you can go back and read this in Matthew 22, but the first question they ask Jesus is about paying taxes, and that's where Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. And then they ask him another question about the resurrection of the dead. There was this debate about what would happen at the end of times when, when with, 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 with dead people and how would they rise and what order and all this stuff. And Jesus, once again, you can go back, answers it very gracefully but very truthfully, which we can learn a lot from that, can't we? Like sometimes you have to be truthful, but what grace means is I tell the truth in love. And so that's what Jesus does. And then they try to trap him with this third question. And this third question is probably the most in-depth and potentially hazardous question of them all because it involves so many intricacies to the Jewish law and for the Jewish people. And so let's, let's, let's dive into it. Matthew 22, verse 34, this is what it says. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap. If you have a Bible or if you have your phone, highlight the word trap. Tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, 
which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. Now, just to give you some context for this particular scripture, there's, there's been some debate because the, the, the Jews were given the Ten Commandments, right? Don't, don't, don't commit murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, honor your father and your mother. Those Ten Commandments, they had been given. In order to obey those, they had added on commandment after commandment that they had written, and they were now obeying like 613 laws. 613 laws. And so there was, there was this debate in the Jewish culture of the time of which of those laws was the most important. Like which ones were that held the most weight and which ones can we kind of fudge on a little bit? Which ones aren't quite as important? And so that's the question that they're asking him. But, but, but they're really just asking him a question to try to what? To try to trap him. They don't really care his opinion. They don't really like him. They know he's a teacher. They know he's done some cool things, but really they just want him gone. They're just asking him this question, not, not so that they can know, but it's because there's a lot of controversy around it, and they want to trap him. Ultimately, their question isn't about the law. Their question is to push their own agenda. Now, we do this too, don't we? Like, we ask questions, and we do things with knowing the answer, but it's just to push our own agenda. Let me, let me, let me illustrate it like this. So, um, we do, Melissa and I, we do have a, have a five-year-old, and we, we fight this. Anybody fight this tablet technology thing with your kids? Anybody? Which, our family ministry has some great resources for that. You can check those out um, over in the other building or at resources.springwood.org. But um, we have this battle. I think all parents right now have this battle of how much time is too much time on technology and tablets and that sort of thing. And so... About six, eight months ago, Melissa and I started this thing where he can't have his tablet. If we're eating at home, he can't have it at the table. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you ever let him have it at the table? Yes, it's called survival. And so for the last, <laughs> for the last six or eight months, we've taken that from him if he's at home. Now, if he's at a restaurant, we'll still kind of, hey, buddy. <laughs> you know, it, it, sometimes you survive for everyone involved, Okay. But at home, we've taken it away from him. Make him turn it off. We, we, we put all technology aside. And so he's gotten to where he'll ask these questions. First off, he'll say he's not hungry. And then he'll be hungry for like 15 minutes later, you know. But he'll start asking these questions like, what can I do while I eat? I'm like, well, buddy, it's, it's called eating. You eat. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that hungry. What, what, what can I, but what can I do that's fun? One of us will say, well, buddy, why don't you just talk to us? How was your day? He's like, nah, I don't really want to talk to you. <laughs> like, no, what, like, what, what can I do that's fun? Now, what is, what is Riley really doing? Really, he doesn't really ask, he's not really asking these questions. He has an idea behind it, doesn't he? He is actually pushing his own agenda. For some of us this morning, we have been stalling in the area of forgiveness. We know that we need to forgive someone, we need to let it go, but you've been stalling by saying, they need to apologize first. Or if I forgive them, it'll be like it never happened. For some of us that are followers of Jesus, God's been telling you something and you've been stalling by asking for more signs or you've been asking for another word from the Lord and what God is saying is he's saying, I've given you the ability, I've put you in the place to do it, just do it, quit stalling with another sign. That's what these Pharisees are doing. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Like, they're asking him a question, but really, it's just to push their own agenda. It's just to try to trap him. They don't want Jesus. They just want what they want out of Jesus. And I think some of us this morning, that is where we are. So it's not even about the question, the question they're asking. It's about what they want. 
How many times have you asked somebody for advice and they begin to give you advice and you don't really want to hear that advice. You want to hear what you want to hear. How many of you have prayed that prayer? God, should I do this? And you know that scripture says you shouldn't. You don't want, you don't want God's opinion. You're just trying to find confirmation and peace with what you've already decided. These Pharisees say, Jesus, what, what are the most important commands? They don't really, they're just trying to trap him. But see, they started out with good intentions, didn't they? So like, they had ten commandments. The reason that God had given them these ten commandments in the book of Exodus was so that he could be close with his people again. God created people in perfection. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They broke the law. It separated God and man. And so God gives these ten commandments to try to get relationship back. See, God God has always been about love. He's always been about relationship from beginning to the end. God has always been about relationships. And so he gave them these ten commandments, and they started out good. As a matter of fact, they started out with good intentions. Like they had these 10, and so remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. So they're like, okay, well, I messed up on that one. So what can I do so that I can remember the Sabbath? And so they added rule. Do y'all see what I'm saying? They added law on top of law, on top of law, on top of law to try to obey these 10. The thing is, is what started out with good intentions became the driving force. And so now these Pharisees are upset with Jesus because he's disobeyed the social and religious norms when he hasn't really done anything but love people, but because the, ma- the wrong thing has become the main thing, they find themselves looking at the face of love and trying to kill him. What started out with good intentions. I read that out of these 613 laws the Jewish people had set up, 248 of them were positive. In other words, do this, do this. 365 were negative. Don't do this, don't do that. Do you ever fall into the negativity trap? Some of you are right there right now, aren't you? You're looking at something that's coming tomorrow or this week or next month and it's already over in your mind because you've fallen, to, you've fallen into the negativity trap. You've fallen into the trap of thinking it's more about what you can't do than what you can do. Or you've fallen into the, to the trap of thinking that God is more out to get you than he is to bless you. And you've fallen into this negativity trap. That's what these people did. That's why they began to stack up all of these negative rules. Because they fell into the negative, negativity trap. And here's the deal. Negativity will cause you to lose focus every time. Doesn't it? A lot of you this morning, you're in a tough place, but you started with good intentions, but somehow negativity has zapped those good intentions from you. You started out, you wanted to lose some weight, you wanted to get healthy, but that desire has led to a bad place in your life, led to a negative place in your life, it's led to an unhealthy place in your life. Some of you, you started that relationship with that person, Like you just wanted someone to do life with. But now you find yourself doing things with them and they've become your idol and it's led to an unhealthy place through negativity. Good intentions, things that start good, can often lead to bad when we make the wrong thing the main thing. Jesus is saying it's not even about that. He's He's about to center them. Look at the verse 37. So Jesus responds, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And what Jesus is quoting here is he's quoting part of the Shema, which was a prayer that they would have prayed twice a day, and it's in Deuteronomy 6.5. And so in other words, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm going to take you back to where this started because you've convoluted everything. You've made it about things that it's not really about. So I'm going to take you back to where this started. I'm going to remind you that the first greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's trying to take them back where they started. He's trying to focus them from their distraction because they've been so distracted by the rules and the laws and the trying to do what they thought was best that they've been distracted from the one who knows best and from the one who set them up in the first place and says, I just want to love you. We live distracted lives, don't we? I would say that never before in our culture have we been more distracted. If you think about it, you can find whatever you want at the, at the tip of your finger, can't you? For some of us, our, our distraction goes in flipping through Facebook when we should be doing something else. Or we have 10 minutes where we could stop and pray and talk, but instead we decide to compare ourselves to, oh, they went on that vacation. She shouldn't have taken a picture in that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't make out like you haven't thought that. Summer's coming. Y'all will be thinking that. But my point is, is we live these distracted lives. We're, we're distracted by by information we're distracted by all of the things that we have to do we're distracted by our finances we're distracted to get Susie to ballet and Johnny to to soccer practice we're distracted by our grandkids we're we're distracted by our friends we get so distracted and what Jesus is telling these Pharisees is he's saying at the end of the day it all comes back to love it comes to loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what Jesus is saying is he's setting up a parameter, and he's saying, if you will do this, if you will just do that, the rest of it will come into place. We make it so hard. We get distracted it's so easy. So we lose our peace. We lose our joy. Focus, our focus is important because our devotion always follows our focus. The thing that you are focused on is the thing that you will be devoted to. Because when you begin to narrow your focus, whatever it might be, you begin to hone in on it, and your life begins to be kind of centered around it. It's like focusing a photo. Everything else kind of blurs because that's your focus, and that's the thing that's going to get to your devotion. My question is this morning, what has your focus? Are you distracted by, by good things? It's possible. We can be distracted by good things. We can be distracted by trying to make money. We can be distracted by trying to give our kids what they need. We can be distracted by trying to find a wife or trying to find a husband. We can, we can, we can be distracted by trying to do a good job at work. We can be distracted by trying to provide. We can be distracted by coming to church. We can be distracted by serving good at church. The problem is, is our distraction becomes a distraction when we make the other things the main thing. We can be distracted by bad things. Some of you are so distracted by your past and the bad things that happened in your past that it has completely blinded you for any future that God has for you. And let me just be the voice to tell you this morning that Jesus says it's over. It's taken care of. Move forward. I know that's easier said than done. 
Some of you are distracted by the urgent things, right? You feel like you're always putting out fires, literally sometimes. But you feel like you're always putting out fires. You feel like you're always running from thing to thing to thing. And so the urgent things have distracted you from the main things. Some of you, you're distracted by the petty things. I'm guilty of this. And so you're waiting for everything to be just like you want it to be before you begin to focus on the right thing. And so you're, you're constantly trying to, trying to make everything neat and clean and tidy. And meanwhile, your focus is on what you're trying to make neat and clean and tidy or clean up your life or clean up your family or make them picture perfect or make yourself wait till I lose 30 pounds and then I'll focus on the right thing. Meanwhile, things are just kind of falling apart because that's become your main focus. I heard a pastor say the other day, the biggest enemy to your peace is your insistence on perfection. guilty distractions Jesus is saying don't get distracted in any part of your life make the main thing the main thing he's saying love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind the heart would have been the core the soul would have been the seat of the emotions and then the mind is the might the power when our focus is love our distractions are limited because when you look on the face of Jesus and how he loved you, how can anything distract you for too long from the grace of God, from the power, from the presence, from the purpose of God? But Jesus isn't done. Verse 39, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these commandments. So he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. He's quoting another verse to say, make the main thing the main thing. It's not even about all that. It's not even about what you're asking me. It's not even about the laws. It's about love. How are you loving God and how are you loving other people? And there's people in here and you are much better at loving God than you are, loving our, than you are at loving his people. Right? Let's be honest. You can say, I can handle the love God thing, but the loving his people, eh, not so sure about that. The problem is, is that when you love someone, you love what they love, and God loves his people. So that's why Jesus is saying, let me sum it all up for you. Love God, love people. Here's a test before you react, okay? It's going to be mind-blowing, okay? Before you react to things this week with other people, here's the question to ask yourself. Am I doing this with love? Like, seriously, it sounds simple, right? But am I doing this with love? Before I have that hard conversation, and hard conversations do happen even if you love Jesus. Jesus had them. He's having one right now. Matthew 22, am I having this hard conversation in love? In other words, am I having this hard conversation to beat up on someone, or am I having this hard conversation for the best interests of someone? When you parent, are you doing it in love? In other words, am I just mad at something else, and I made it something it's not about, or am I really Am, am, am I parenting right now, trying to instill something in my child that's going to help them later? When you're in, when, with, your, with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife, are you doing it in love? Is the way that you react from something else, are you bringing something to it? Or are you trying to love that person through whatever they're facing? When you're, when, when you're at the store, when somebody comes, to, if you work at the store, when somebody comes to your checkout line, when they start arguing about the price and they want to use that 20,000th coupon, are you going to react in love when you're at school and you see the kid over there that nobody wants to be with? 
or you have a chance to cheat on your test, are you going to act in love? How would it change our relationships if we just all started to react out of love? So, Jesus sums up the entire 600-plus laws in two. It's really easy, listen to me, for some of you this is going to be really important. It's really easy to pollute the teachings of Jesus to keep score so we feel better about ourselves. Does that make sense? Some of you... You keep score because it makes you feel better about yourself so that you can compare yourself to someone else. And that's kind of what the Pharisees had done. They had begun to pollute what God had told them. And it was all so that they could look and say, hey, I did good. Jesus says, let me sum up the whole thing. It's about loving me. It's about loving other people. And so Jesus practiced what he preached, right? He didn't, just, he didn't just tell these people to love God and to love others. He modeled it. You see, Jesus, John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus has always been. He wasn't some creation of God later. He's always been. And so when the timing was right, when Jesus finally said these Ten Commandments aren't working, he said, Jesus, I need you to go down there, my boy. I need you to go. They need you. And so Jesus steps out of earth, or steps out of heaven onto earth. He probably didn't do that. That was a little extreme. Um, and he steps out of heaven onto earth. And the Bible says that, that his parents didn't even prepare the nursery. So he was born in a cave. The Savior of the world, born in a cave, he should have at least been born in a hospital, right? He should have been born in like his own hospital, like the royal family. They should have shut the whole thing down. But no, he was born in a cave, and so he stepped off of his earthly or heavenly throne onto earth, born in a cave in 33 years. We only know about three years' worth of it, but 33 years he would model love after love after love. Would he be full of truth? Yes, but he would also be loving in every situation. If you look in Scripture, every situation, Jesus models perfect truth and perfect love. And so he would get to the end of his life, his time, the Bible said, was up. And he would give himself into the hands of these Jewish leaders. He, he, he even said, it even says in Scripture, he says, they're not taking my life from me. I'm willfully giving it up. You see, when you created life, when you are the life, when you are the resurrection, nobody takes that from you. You give it up. And so Jesus gave up his life on a cross. Every moment, every drop of blood that came from his head was a drop saying, I love you. The Bible says he cries out in anguish. He could have come off, but he didn't. And so then he's buried in a borrowed tomb. They didn't even think to hold a place for him to be buried. Three days later, he raises from the dead. That's what we celebrate next week. He raises from the dead so that he can show what life and love really look at. So I want to go back, and I want to look at the Ten Commandments that the Pharisees started with. Some of you, you're going to know these. If I don't read them exactly the way you've remembered them, they're still right. One, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. 
honor your father and your mother. All the parents said. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. What do those Ten Commandments have in common? Exactly what Jesus just said. It's not even about those. You see, Jesus didn't come to reverse these rules. He came to fulfill them. And so what he's saying is he's saying all those ten things, what it really comes down to are these two. Love your Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. And when you start to get that right, the second one will come into play. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you've polluted it. You've made it about other things. You've made your life. You've made your relationships. You've you've tried to earn things that you'll never be able to earn. And then you wonder why you feel so empty. He's saying, it's about these two things. And it starts with you knowing that I love you. every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment this morning if you don't have a relationship with Jesus you need to know that he loves you so as you sit there I want you to ask Ask God if you love him back. If the answer to that question is no, and you need to accept Christ as your Savior this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just repeat this prayer after me. God, I know I've messed up. I feel empty. But I believe what Jonathan just said is that Jesus was born, that he died, that he rose. For some reason it seems crazy, but I believe it. I'm tired of trying to keep score. I surrender my life to you. My life is no longer my own, it's yours. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, just for a moment, I want us to ask ourselves some questions. Do you have a relationship that is faltering, not because of the person that you're in it with now, but because of something that you brought into it? So you've made it about things that it's not really about? Have you become so good at being distracted by flipping through Instagram or Facebook or comparing yourself with other people or believing the lies in your head that you've forgotten why why you accepted Christ in the first place and that was because you knew he loved you? Do you even still know what it's all about? God, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, let your presence fall over these people right now. We know you're here, but God, may we feel your presence. God, remind them of your love. Remind them what it's all about. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Monday was our little guy's birthday. And um, Sunday night, we knew we weren't going to go out to eat or anything Monday night. But Sunday night, we said, buddy, where do you want to go? And because he's saved, he chose Chipotle. Holla. Anybody like Chipotle? Anybody? 
Okay. Thank you. Have y'all, who's eating at Chipotle? Okay, that's, that makes me feel a little better. Okay. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That doesn't make you saved if you like Chipotle. I just want to lay that out. But anyway, he chose Chipotle. He loves Chipotle. Random for a kid, I know. Um, but he loves Chipotle. And so, because I do too, which is part of the reason I asked him where he wanted to go, because then it makes me feel better. Um, and we went to Chipotle. He gets there. It's busy. And so, there's only a few seats left. And one of them are these high-top table stools. Have you all seen these? That are attached to the actual table. So, schools, stools don't scoot out. And so, it's a little hard for him to reach over. But that was the only tables in there. And so, we go through the line. We get our food. We ask for extra fajitas because they never give you enough the first time, which I, I think they do that on purpose, I guess. But anyway, they never give you enough. So we ask for extra fajitas. We get our bowl. We sit down. Where He's halfway through his, or more than halfway through his cheese quesadilla and his guacamole. The kid likes guacamole too. Isn't that strange? Anyway, he's almost done with his guacamole. And he, I look to my left. He's sitting beside me, and he kind of slips off his stool a little bit. And all this kind of happens in slow motion. And so he's, he's done this before, but normally he just kind of, you know, lands on his feet, finds his feet. Some of y'all made nervous right there. Um, but he just kind of usually lands on his feet. But I look beside me, and I'm not kidding. What I expected him to land on his feet, he begins to flail, almost like he's lost all control of his body. And when he falls, the footrest on the bottom of the stool catches him right there. Whack. Like, it was bad enough where that night, like, when I went to bed, I told Melissa, I said, all I can see is he and him hitting his neck on that thing. And so, of course, I'm right beside him, and so I sweep him up. By this point, he is bawling his eyes out as quick as that. By the time I get him outside, because I know there's other people eating, the thing has swollen up to the size of a golf ball, and it's blue. And he is yelling, Daddy, Daddy, it's broke. It's broke. I'm like, I'm not even sure you can break that part of your neck, but I don't know. He's like, Daddy, it's broke. It's broke. I'm like, buddy, I got you. It's, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I promise we'll take you to the doctor if we need to. It's broke, Daddy. It's broke. It's broke. It's broke. And so f- about, for about five minutes, he's just yelling, it's broke. And you know how, how when your kid's been hurt, it's different from just, from, from, from just I want something and I'm being selfish. And so he's got those tears coming down his eyes. It's broke, Daddy. It's broke, Daddy. It's broke. And then all of a sudden, it's like he just lets go. And he puts his arms around me. And he puts his head on my shoulder. Tears still in his eyes. But it's, it's almost like he said, it's time for me to quit flailing trying to make myself safe and just rest with my dad this morning I want you to know that God loves you it's time to quit flailing try, sure God doesn't want you to be lazy try but quit flailing let go trust that if you can love God love others you're good God thank you for loving us Lord thank you that you're the one you're the only one that deserves it in Jesus name amen
All I need is you right now 